The first lesson this morning comes from Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in His commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness as the light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked see it and are angry. They gnash their teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked comes to nothing. Amen. And the gospel lesson this morning comes to us from Luke 14, verses 1 and 7 through 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your guest or host And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you will start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We live in an age where you really can't hide from anyone anymore. Cameras are all around us, and we're always being observed, always. 
observed in our actions and even our words. Social media can pick up and spread anything in just a matter of moments. People will see it unfiltered, uncut, and dare I say, in some cases, unhinged. There, there were only supposed to be eight places at the head table at the golf banquet. The team was made up of youth from 12 to 18-year-olds, and, and I was a 12-year-old at the time, and I tried to qualify for that team every single Monday from June through August, I tried to qualify for that team. Now, mind you, two of the guys on the team who were 17 and 18 would go on to be club champions in their, in their 20s through their 50s. And state champions of at least 10 years combined. I got to play in one tournament because someone got sick. Someone got sick. It was the city tournament. It was when all the teams got together to play for the city trophy in Indianapolis. I had, I had some friends from school that were on some of the other teams. So when I showed up, I was the last man on the team. But I gotta tell you, it felt pretty cool just to be on the team. Now, the deal was you had to be on the team for two tournaments before getting recognized as being on the club team. Otherwise, you were a junior golfer. Eligible for a medal after two. I was okay with that. I, wa I was okay. Playing in the city tournament was a big deal. And it was pretty cool. I came up, I was the last group, I, I came up walking the 18th fairway and I, I noticed that all of the players of all of the other teams and, and my team were all surrounding the green. It felt like a golf tournament. My approach shot came up to the uh, hole on the 18th hole, about five feet away from the hole. And my, my team, they cheered, they were jumping up and down. Gary G., one of the 18-year-olds, the captain of the team, uh, it came up to me as I marked my ball and said, a one-putt wins the tournament. <laughs> a two-putt gets us into a playoff. No pressure for a 12-year-old. As my knees knocked, and they did, my knees knocked, my hands shook, uh, the putt looked like it was a mile away and that the cup was about two inches wide. I, I, I think I shut my eyes as I hit the putt. In fact, I know I shut my eyes because what I did was I heard the ball clump into the, ball, into the hole. It went in and we won the tournament. When it came time for the banquet though, remember, So we sat at the very last table where all the junior golfers were, all the way back in the hall. My family was there. They knew what was going on. The other junior golfers were there. But just before the dinner started, the club pro came walking up to the table and said, Kenny, 
Kenny, you, you need to come with me. You're sitting at the wrong table. And, he, and I stood up and we walked past all the people up to the front table where they had made a ninth place setting for me. All eyes were on me and the room began to applaud. How come he didn't applaud? I won the city tournament, folks. Anyone who follows Jesus Christ must understand that they will and are being observed in everything that they do. The world watches and every miscue gets lifted up. As an example, Daniel heard the decree of King Darius and yet he prayed to God as he faced Jerusalem. And the king's presidents of the kingdom, the prefects, the the satraps, the counselors, and the governors conspired and watched. And when they told Darius, Daniel is praying to his God, you must hold on to the decree. Darius threw him into the lion's den. And God protected Daniel. The conspirators had observed and acted accordingly. In today's text, today's text is one of six illustrations in Luke that has Jesus centered all around the table. Essentially, this is one of six that could be called Jesus' table talks. The text this morning is also the fourth Sabbath controversy of Jesus. In this passage, just before the verses we read, just before, in verses 2 through 6, Jesus heals a desperately ill man. Now, last week we talked about a woman that was desperately ill for 18 years. We don't know how long this man was desperately ill. He had dropsy. And he shares fellowship at the table, and he heals him on the Sabbath. But he shares fellowship in the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. Both his gift of of medical healing and his personal response to hospitality in the home of the Pharisee deepens Luke's theme of conflict that's developed as Jesus journeys towards Jerusalem. Because that's where Jesus is headed. Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem for his crucifixion. The Pharisees have hated him for his claim of lordship over the Sabbath activities. In in this first instance, Luke 6, 1-13, I won't read it all, Jesus and his disciples pluck grain. You remember that one? They pluck grain on the Sabbath because they're hungry, and the Pharisees accuse them of violating the prohibition of work on the Sabbath. Jesus counters with the version of the Sabbath command in Deuteronomy 5, 13, 15, which prescribes observance that honors the Exodus gift of freedom from slavery in Egypt. In the view of Sabbath as the celebration of freedom for slaves, the Gospel of Luke shows that Jesus offers us liberation, liberation from our calamities, from our diseases that destroy the fullness of human life. In addition to healing, Jesus joins a leader of the Pharisees who are, under, who are holding Jesus under surveillance. They're watching his, his every move. 
They want to catch him doing something wrong. In his response to the leader's offer of hospitality, Jesus, even though he is the object of their hostility, is unexpectedly free for table fellowship. This Pharisee is strangely attracted to him, similar to Nicodemus. We don't know the name of this Pharisee, but similar to Nicodemus. Jesus shows his own Sabbath lordship and freedom to sit at that table, sharing bread and cup. Luke deepens this irony through Jesus' teaching, and Jesus borrows from the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs 25, 6 through 7 and tells the hustling guests that are all huddled around to follow the traditional wisdom guiding proper etiquette in the royal court or at a meal in the presence of an aristocratic host. The, the guests should not rush to sit at the head of the table in the dining room, but sit in a humbler location on the happy occasion that, that they should be invited closer to the attractive host or to the head table. With further daring, Jesus reminds the host not to invite those who can repay him, but rather invite the poor, the crippled, the, the lame and the blind who can offer nothing in return. The reward for this curious obedience may be claimed in the resurrection of the righteous in which social boundaries and unjust divisions in the human community are judged. This inversion embodied in Jesus' own sharing of someone's hospitality is wisdom's, capital W, wisdom's vindication by all her children. Luke inverts the traditional etiquette of the banquet. He elevates the lowliest to the new royal welcome, if you would, to the kingdom of God, and urges social climbers to become the lowliest on the chance that they might be invited higher up. Jesus' healing and practice of table fellowship become metaphors for the kingdom of God, where they will come from east and west and north and south and, and will eat in the kingdom of God. His example and his teaching thus confirms the main emphasis in Luke. In Luke. Yeah, I, I, I know this is going to get a little jumping back and forth between Bible verses and whatnot, but think about the songs of Mary and Zechariah, which we're going to do for Advent. Songs of Mary and Zechariah in the, and the Sermon on the Plain. And then throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' ministry exemplifies the foundation of service that you and I are to offer to the people of God. Karl Barth offers us from our work an interpretation of this kind of hospitality as a form of fellowship, as one of the many forms of ministry in the Christian community. When the community acts to establish fellowship, something that we're going to be doing here uh, in, in Fellowship Hall, to witness to God's fellowship established, that's established in Jesus Christ, both between the whole world and God and among human beings. God in Jesus Christ unites humankind and establishes fellowship between us all and with God. 
The Lord calls the community of God's people to bear witness to the fellowship between God and humanity by establishing fellowship between hum human beings. It provides what we call koinonia, koinonia. As the community reaches out to all nations, to all people, it overcomes national, ethnic, and linguistic barriers in our world. It, it performs koinonia in its attitude toward racial differences. The church refuses to accept either the legitimacy or the necessity of dividing up the community into special congregations. So I wonder what Jesus would have to say about all us Presbyterians and Methodists, Episcopalians, Roman Catholics. I wonder what Jesus would have to say as we exercise koinonia by responding to the variety of human cultures, the ministry of the people of God bring different people together to overcome cultural differences rather than sanctify or bless cultural differences. And it implements koinonia in its pastoral work as the Christian community of believers sets aside class distinctions that are separated by status and race, gender and age, and sexuality. Just like this Wednesday evening, we're going to be starting up our Wednesday night dinners, our fellowship dinners. I got the plug in. Where everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. No one is turned away. Not even if you can't afford it. If you come to dinner, you are welcome. Essentially, the community of God's people, the church, would be morally and mortally sick if it were to identify itself with a class or its concerns with the interests, its faith or the ideology or its ethos of the morality of such a class. When we practice koinonia, and that's what we do in our hospitality, when we practice koinonia, the effect of our Christian practices of hospitality, we welcome and we heal all of those differences that we have, all of those divisions that are in the world. They are, they are healed by our hospitality. Have you ever noticed that when you sit down at a table and there's hostility and yet you break bread, Somehow, that bread, when you start to eat, the temperature goes down and you can talk. Have you ever noticed that? It's then that hospitality and fellowship become central to the ministry each of us perform and are called to perform. And Luke gives us a beautiful testimony to this barrier-breaking hospitality. Where, where does he do that? Do you know where he does that? In the journey of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where she gives birth and lays Jesus in a manger because there was no place in the inn. The birth of Jesus breaches the blockade of welcome for the babe of the, at the inn and embodies Royal David's line in an unexpected way. 
a peasant family. But the hospitality of the manager becomes a model for Luke's particular emphasis on the welcome of the stranger and at the communion table that breaks down the barriers of humanity. Remember, the, the Lord calls the community of God's people, you and I, to bear witness to the fellowship between God and humanity by establishing fellowship, by establishing hospitality, by establishing koinonia between us human beings. And the community provides, performs, and exercises and implements koinonia as a community as we reach out, not only within these four walls, but also beyond the four walls of the church of God to all of God's people. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Ken Goodrich, and I'm humbled that you took the time to listen to this podcast. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves you to ministry and that if you don't have a church home, that you are able to find one. Please feel free to tune in on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 12.20 p.m. for our Bible studies, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. for our Learning Center courses, and of course on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for our worship. Just go to fpclc.org to see all our various programs and events. Thanks again, and God bless you and keep you safe. May God embrace you and keep you in his countenance. Peace.